Another edition of Pro and Dialogue. My name is Danny Servick, and I cannot contain my enthusiasm for this week's episode um, because it hits close to home with me, with one of um, just one of the anchors in my life, and who was one of my coaches, and who I've learned so much from, um, and didn't even realize one of my main tenets in coaching, of of in dealing with kids. Um, was from him, and so we'll save that to the end. But uh, Dwayne Rebol, who was the legendary coach at Birmingham Southern, where he went 402 and 124 losses in 17 seasons, where he won two national championships at the NAI level, where he had over an 800 uh, winning percentage then for his career still you know, at 764. Um, in his three years at the Division One level with Southern, when they transitioned to that, they were 20 and 7, 16 and 14, and 19 and 9. Was Big South Coach of the Year two of the three seasons. Just mind boggling um, where Birmingham Southern was ahead of the curve of everybody the Belmonts, the Lipscombs, um, back when NAI was a powerhouse. Uh, and then the school at Southern shut down uh, athletics when they went from Division One to Division Three, uh, and he stepped away. But we learned more from the man. Uh, at the end of his journey, we, we, we rolled all the way back to when he was in New Orleans as a child, coming up where his love for basketball came from, and just his perseverance uh, and everything that he went through to become uh, a fantastic player, and then how that led to him uh, being a tremendous coach. We learned about his coaching journey and the, the ups and downs with that and how he was a, a fantastic coach. Um, in New Orleans at the high school level, went to college where they got fired, and then how he got back into it, and then how our paths crossed um, in, back in 1991 at Birmingham Southern. We also just learned, in, in, in which I think is part of just the great story uh, of the man, um, of being everything that he taught us as players about being a great teammate, um, about being selfless, and how... Um, he went through the last decade uh, of who was our team mom for all the guys that played at Southern, his, his tremendous wife, Rainey, and her battle with Alzheimer's. So um, <laughs> it's also so good in, in the hour-plus visit that he called back after the visit because he forgot to talk about some other key points in our three-point shot, playing hard, playing unselfish, and playing with confidence and how coaches, and he wanted to make sure that we pass that along to coaches uh, that those were three important cogs for him in talking. It, it, it's it's for coaches, for parents. Uh, this is just an amazing hour uh, of getting to just listen. Uh, and for the guys and in, 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 in people that aren't familiar with Coach Rebull, I couldn't be happier to, to uh, have him join uh, the podcast and just where you guys can learn about him. So, Kick back, turn the volume up really loud, make sure you've got plenty of ink in the pen, in the paper, and uh, listen and enjoy this week's episode of Pro and Dialogue.
right, so there's there's not many uh, people that I don't like to talk to and, and call up in the morning with a cup of coffee, but one of the ones that it always makes me cringe a little bit because I know he's having a cup of coffee at a much nicer place than I am is my guest this week who is um, the term legendary gets thrown around way, way too much, but this guy uh, was, is, all things my great college coach at Birmingham Southern, uh, the great Dwayne Rebel Coach, I know you're sitting on a lake having a cup of coffee, and I'm in my office. How are you doing today? <laughs> Danny, it's because of you that I'm able to sit here and, and, and enjoy a retirement. And, <laughs> and, not, and not just you, but, but you had a big part of it. You know, you, uh, you know, for coaches to be able to retire and enjoy the, 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 the golden years, uh, had to have good players and, and had to have uh, guys that were very coachable, and, and you were one of the most. And truly enjoyed our time together. I mean, it was just, uh, gosh, I go back and it seems like yesterday, uh, the early nineties. And here we are 20 something years later, uh, 30 years approaching, uh, you know, so it, it's been a great time. It's been a great run. No, it's great. And, and I, I can't, um, you know, we're still really early in this project with the podcast of getting going and, um, you know, as, as I've said in some of the, the early episodes, I, I kind of had my wish list and kind of had it planned out of, of who to have. And like there there's there's very few people that have had more influence kind of in my life in terms of a basketball and then thereafter than you. And so and then like your journey is just so amazing and kind of like we do each week um, for everybody that I mean, there's especially our people here in the southeast know of 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 you from the all the the monsters at Birmingham Southern, but I like to dive a little deeper into the great Louisiana roots of, of <laughs> you in the scrappy little guard. Um, just spend a little time just be, and, then, and then we'll get to the, to, to the legendary coaching times just as a player and, and roll it back from the times in New Orleans and, and just kind of talk about your journey in the, in the world of basketball. Well, basketball has been, it's been my, it's been my life. It's been such a wonderful journey for me. And, you know, it, when, you know, every journey begins with a family. And, and I was one of 10 kids. I was the second uh, child of seven brothers and three, three sisters, uh, six brothers and three sisters. And, uh, you know, it's, we are a product of our environment. And, and I guess it all started way back when in second, third grade, you know, you, <laughs> our parents were wonderful. I couldn't have asked for better parents. And, you know, with 10 kids, you didn't get a lot of attention and you were told to leave the house. Don't come back till dark. And it was a great time to, to grow up and to be involved in sports. And that's what you did. You went outside and you, you, you picked up a couple of players or friends and, and you started playing games and you made up games. And that's one of the things I, I think is missing today uh, in youth sports. Uh, kids just trying to figure out who, uh, who, who to, who to call, who to, who to get to come play and, and, and kind of organize a game. We did that at an early age. I mean, there was, you know, of course I had brothers and sisters. We, oh, there were 10 of us. And as I mentioned, and, and then next door to us were my cousins and there were five of them. So we had 15 people, 15 kids to, to choose from to play games. And we did. That's you know, and we grew we grew up playing sports, and um, you know, I was actually my oldest brother was much better athlete than I was, and uh, as we would go through life, you know, it was you know, Catholic schools in New Orleans were the big thing. You, 
unfortunately, the public school system was and still is a little subpar. And if you were going to get an education, you were going to have to go to a private school. And Catholic schools were the, was a big Catholic community there in New Orleans. And uh, if you were going to go to, you know, we, we had seven of us in Catholic elementary school. And my mom and dad got a deal, you know, after the after paying for the first three, the next the rest of them were free. So <laughs> they, they got, we, we went to a Catholic school and fortunately they had sports there. We played. And as I mentioned, my older brother was really a great athlete. And, uh, he kind of, as an, as an older sibling normally does, he reminded us often of how good, how much better he was than we were. <laughs> that was <laughs> very motivating for me. And I, I credit him with, 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 you know, me working to become a better player and to become a better athlete. And, uh, you know, I think, again, we're a product of our environment and it started at a young age and, uh, you know, we go to the, you, you said, start the journey. I'm going to go right from the beginning. I can remember and you'll appreciate this. And, and, uh, I think parents will appreciate this. Uh, gosh, we were, I was in the seventh, eighth grade, and playing on the eighth grade team and was probably one of the better players. Although I'd be four, nine, I was only four, nine, <laughs> <laughs> a real giant at the time. And, and, uh, my older brother had finished playing and had gotten scholarships at that time. You could get a scholarship to go to a Catholic school. It was legal to give scholarships. And my older brother had scholarships to all five Catholic schools for all four sports. Wow. Uh, he, he could have gone to any of the schools to play football, basketball, baseball, or run track. I mean, he was phenomenal. And he reminded me how good he was. So naturally, I figured, well, gosh, if he could get a scholarship to any of them, I should be able to get a scholarship to just one of them. It doesn't matter <laughs> when, which one. <laughs> so I go, I, you know, and I'm, I'm in the eighth grade and, you know, I have, I have a pretty good season. Um, as I said, one of the better players on the team, but uh, at the at the end of each of the high school tournaments, because they had tournaments for the elementary schools, and they would choose the all-tournament team and most valuable player, and I was always on one of the all-tournament teams, or I was the most valuable player, blah, 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 but I was never offered a scholarship, and uh, I can remember coming home and thinking, well, surely somebody's going to offer me a scholarship, one of these Catholic schools, and it didn't happen. And uh, I can remember I was playing a pickup game with some older guys uh, late in May, and one of the guys asked me, well, where are you going to school next year? And I said, I really don't know. I was hoping for a scholarship, but it doesn't look like I'm going to get one. And I'm probably going to wind up at either Warren Easton or McDonough high schools and they're okay. There are two of the public schools and, and the, and the guy who was a, maybe a junior senior in high school at St. Aloysius, he said, Dwayne, why don't you just stay back in eighth grade and maybe you'll grow a little bit because that seems to be the, the issue. You're not tall enough. <laughs> and I chuckled and I said, well, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> I went home and, and I told my parents, I said, mom, Dad, I think I want to stay back in eighth grade. And they looked at me like I was completely insane. <laughs> and I said, well, no, you know, I'm only four feet nine. And, and every all the coaches think I'm a good player, but they don't think I'm going to grow and I'm not going to be big enough to play high school basketball. And I, so and my mother, she looked at me and said, 
you're, you're insane. This is just not going to happen. And my dad said, well, I'll tell you what, talk to the principal. And if she agrees to let you stay back, then you can stay back. So the next morning, we had a nun, Sister Judith, who was our principal. And I knocked on her door early that morning, told her I'd like to sit down and talk to her. And, <laughs> and when I told her, she said, you've got to talk to the, the bishop, who was the pastor of the the, uh, the, the school in the parish there. And, and uh, see, I don't know if he'll let you do that. And uh, he said, you know, you've got good grades and you can, you know, you should be able to go on to high school now. And anyhow, so I talked to the bishop and the bishop, he who kind of was very saintly kind of guy and said, well, if that's what you do, want to do, my son, we can work that out. And so sure enough, I stayed back in the eighth grade. You were the and, you were like you were a red shirt. That's that the, the, the red shirt before the red shirts became in vogue. I, this was way back in the 1960s, you know, it was like, you know, it was, uh, yeah, this, uh, this will help me grow. And I grew to a whopping five foot two and same thing. I go through the whole, whole year that next, that my second year in eighth grade. And I loved it. It was a lot of fun. Didn't have to study much. Everything was kind of a review. And, I, and all I did was play ball. I mean, I, I, that was it. And I knew I was going to get a scholarship now because I was, <laughs> I was five foot two and uh, had the same response from the coaches, the high school coaches. Uh, Dwayne, you're just not quite big enough. We don't think you're going to be good enough to play high school basketball. And so that was it. I was definitely going to McDonough High School. And here it was in August. And all of a sudden, I was playing CYO cabbage ball, baseball. It's a, it's a form of baseball in New Orleans. It's an urban game, inner city game, great game. And the coach uh, was a good friend of the Dallas High School basketball, baseball coach. And he called him up and said, look, there's a kid here that I think can play for you. And they had unlimited scholarships. So upon his word, his name was Felix Chetta, Upon Felix's word, Johnny Altabella, the coach at De La Salle High School, said, uh, all right, we'll give him a baseball scholarship. So there, there, I, there I went. Uh, I took a bus, two buses, a streetcar. It, it took me an hour to get to school every morning. So wow. I'd leave at 6, 6.30 and, and, and go to De La Salle High School and went out for the basketball team and made the team as a, you know, my freshman year and was starting – on the JV and, and, and had a really good JV year. And, uh, my baseball scholarship turned to a basketball scholarship. And then when I wanted to go out for baseball, <laughs> the basketball coach, who was also the baseball coach said, Hey, we don't need you in baseball. We need you in <laughs> basketball. So, <laughs> so my baseball career was ended before it began. And, but it was, it was, a, it was definitely a blessing although I think I was probably a better baseball player than basketball player. So the journey for basketball began there. And I had a coach in the elementary school who was just fantastic. His name was Johnny DiMaggio. And he actually now is still keeping the score, the book for the Pelicans. Wow. So he, he, was, a, he was a basketball guy way back when. And he, he gave me some great advice. And he said... Dwayne, if you want to make the team, if you want to eventually start on your high school basketball team, you got to be pretty good at everything and great at one thing. 
whether it be shooting or handling the basketball or passing or defense, you've got to bring something special that nobody else has. And that's going to be your ticket. And he was so right. And, you know, I, I became a passer and, uh, you know, I kind of, I can say this now in a humble way. I mean, it was Pistol Pete, Ernie D. Gregorio, and Dwayne Rebo. Yes, yes. <laughs> and and that's who I, you know, kind of, I felt like, you know, eventually in college, we were, that was, we were the three best passes in the game, uh, in the college game. But at any rate, Johnny DiMaggio, I have to credit with giving me that advice, which I, I still give to kids today. No. You've got to be pretty good at everything and great at one thing. Well, that's the, you've got to, no, I don't mean to cut that. That's the thing. Of, and, and I have heard that phrase from you, obviously, in the time playing with you and then the years after that. And I have that's the funny thing about this. And that's why I love going through that is like I've passed that on to folks. And, you know, I make sure to always give you credit for that because. I remember we would, whether we'd go watch a recruit play or I remember, you know, Hey coach, there's a kid up here at, you know, this high school you should take a look at. And you're like, well, what, what can he do? What, what is it? Can he do? And like, you know, I don't want him to be good at everything, but not great at one, but you know, if he can do one thing really well, so that's awesome. I never had heard the story that that's where you got that from. So. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's so true, Danny, if you think about when we would put our teams together, I mean, I need, we, you know, back when you played, we had guys that could rebound. We had guys that could shoot. We could have guys that defended. We had guys, you know, that, that could handle the basketball and everybody had a role and everybody played a role. And I think part of coaching is, is getting, putting those pieces together and part of playing is accepting your role. And, and I've been able to identify who has what role to play. Yeah, no doubt. All right. So let, let, let's, I want let's, let's finish. Cause we, uh, we will, we'll go okay. off on a tangent of this. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so talk, so, so you finish. so fin- let's finish up your plan. And then I want to transition how you got into then coaching at the high school level first and then before sure. college. Yeah. Well, so after, after, you know, so I make the high school basketball team as the JV team as a freshman. And by the time my sophomore year rolls around, I, I'm on the varsity. I playing a little bit here and there and, you know, basketball was, became my sport and uh my junior and senior years i started and was captain of the team both years in high school and played against those same old same coaches who said that i was too small to play and it was you know they actually motivated me to work and to you know to just get better and i think that's as a parent i think now i look back i think as a parent we try to protect our kids from everything and oftentimes because they don't make a team or because they don't play uh we try to find something else for them and in fact what we need to do is teach them that it's not what happens to you it's how you handle what happens to you that makes or defines your character and uh you know it it it, i became a better player because those coaches didn't want me when i was coming out of uh the eighth grade mm-hmm. and uh, went on to, to play at De La Salle and we had a lot of success and I was fortunate to be named to the all state team my senior year. And <laughs> though I only averaged uh, six points a game, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was my ball handling and passing skills that, that gave me the recognition uh, 
you know, that, that I had so longed for and, and the, the validation that I could play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so after high school, I had the same situation for college. I wanted to, I wrote to every college in the, in the country. That's why I, I really have a, a soft spot for guys that walk on. Uh, I had, I, after high school, I, I had, again, some of those same coaches were now coaching in college that were coaching in the Catholic league. And uh, Don Landry, who was at Nickel State and who is now a very good friend, told me the same thing. He said, Dwayne, when I was at St. Aloysius, I just didn't think you were quite big enough to be a high school player. And uh, going into college now that I'm at Nickel State, I just don't think you're quite big enough to be a college player. Well, <laughs> I winded up spending a year in the, at the College of Santa Fe in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And it was an interesting experience. I went there because I, they were willing to give me a half a scholarship and I was going to study to be a Christian brother, which in the Catholic religion is an order of uh, men that, that, that teach, that dedicate their lives to teaching. And that's what I thought I would do. Uh, so I went to Santa Fe and walked, basically walked on uh, it was a friend of a, one of the Christian brothers that had called the coach and the coach said, well, yeah, we'll let him walk on. And the Christian brothers had a scholarship available for students from Christian brother schools, which were De La Salle was, uh, to go to school there. So I was there on a half a scholarship. It wasn't an athletic scholarship. And I walked on the, the you know, I was going to walk on the team or try to walk on. In the first three weeks I was there, I coach told me to come out and get in one of the pickup games. And I went out there and, and like a typical walk on, I was kind of ignored by the scholarship players. And uh, till finally uh, <laughs> some of the scholarship players didn't show up and they needed a 10th guy to, to play in a pickup game. And I, and, uh, I was selected to play in, in, in the pickup game. And from that point on, I had kind of a, you know, establish myself as, hey, this kid can play. And uh, before long, you know, we started practicing. And by mid-December, I was starting on the team. And by the end of December, when I went home for Christmas, I was on a full basketball scholarship. Wow. So it was a, it was a great experience. I, I truly enjoyed it. Uh, but after the, after the year, being 1,100 miles away from New Orleans and from the family, it was – it was kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. So I decided I was going to come back and, and I uh, wrote to a couple of schools, local, local schools in Loyola who was offering me a half a scholarship. Kevin Trower was the coach. He was at Jesuit high school when I came out of Holy Rosary in the eighth grade. And he said, Dwayne, I could give you a half a scholarship, even though I had started and played and had a good year as, as at uh, the College of Santa Fe. He said, all I have is a scholarship available. So I was going to go to Loyola and uh, try to play there, walk on there and play for, for Loyola. And in August, I got invited by a high school teammate to play in a pickup league, uh, summer league game at the University of New Orleans. And I went over there and played. And after the game was over, this big burly guy comes over and said, asked me, he said, what are you going to do next year, Dwayne? And I t- told him I was going to Loyola to play at Loyola. He said, well, we're starting a basketball program here at UNO, and I'd like for you to be our first scholarship. 
and I was offered a scholarship at to UNO, and I, I can remember going home that night and talking to my mom and dad. I said, you guys are not going to believe it. I finally have a coach who wants me to come play for them. <laughs> so uh, my mom and dad, of course, you know, we'd been in Catholic school forever, said, no, you, you need to go to Loyola. It's a Catholic school. I said, mom, I finally have somebody that wants me. I really want to go play for Coach Green. And uh, they relented, and I went to UNO and became the first scholarship athlete at UNO. And uh, we, we were very fortunate to have a, a very good team those uh, those next three years and uh, a very good teams. And actually, our my senior year, we were ranked the number one team in the country in small college basketball. And at that time, small college basketball included the VCUs and the Southern Mississippis, mm-hmm. uh Louisiana Tech, Louisiana Lafayette, and, and you know we were the number one team for a number of weeks in the polls. And and any at any rate, uh, I was very fortunate to have a great career there at UNO. And uh, after graduating from UNO, I got a phone call from Jimmy Dykes, who was the head coach at my old high school at LSL High School, and asked me if I was interested in going getting into coaching. I told him I was, and there I, there I went to, wow. to Dallas Al as an assistant coach. This was back in 1972. And after a year, Jimmy left, and I was 22 years old, and uh, the athletic director there at uh, Dallas Al asked me if I wanted to be the head coach. And Why? Wow, what a big responsibility at 22 years old, but I, it was an opportunity of a lifetime. And fortunately, I took it, and... Uh, we had a good run, and in four years, we were playing for the state championship. And uh, we, unfortunately, because of a ill-advised timeout that I, I still live with, <laughs> uh, we lost the state championship uh, uh, to, to LB Landry. And I can remember like it was yesterday. We had a, a one-point lead with 50 seconds to go, and we steal the basketball. And our best player, a kid by the name of Jordy Holtberg, is out of the game. He had just fouled out, and we were going to go into four corners. Or we had been in the four corners with Jordy handling the ball, and but we didn't have Jordy in that position now. So I wanted to put our big post player there because he handled the ball well and he can make free throws, etc. And so we called a timeout. And when it came time to get the ball back in bounds from the sideline, we had a difficult time. Um, one of our guards broke left. The guy, the, the guard throwing the ball in bounds, threw it right, and uh, the LB Landry uh, point guard picked it up, went in, laid it in for the basket. We fouled him, and game was over. But uh, anyhow, all of that to say, <laughs> not that you remember any of that. <laughs> all of that to say, you know, coaches, you're going to remember those losses a lot more than you remember the wins. Uh. And, uh, but it, it was a it was a, a learning experience. I rarely did I ever call a timeout in the last fifty seconds of the game when we had the ball on the sideline. So yeah. uh, it, it was truly a learning experience. But after after being a Dallas out for four years, uh, I had an opportunity to go to a rival school, Jesuit High School. It was a great academic school, and they had been down with their basketball program, and so I. Took 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 the the venture to to go to Dallas Al and and true I mean I go from Dallas Al to Jesuit and spent six years at Jesuit as the 
high school basketball coach there. So my 10 years coaching high school basketball, I was blessed to coach so many wonderful players and good teams. And we had a great deal of success at Jesuit. I think we won over 20, 25 games a year there. And uh, it, it was, we had a great run. And one day I'm sitting in the gym and Don Smith, the head coach at UNO, it was a June night, about 10 o'clock, after one of our summer practices, he came over, and he just asked me, he said, Dwayne, he said, I've got an assistant coaching position open, uh, would you be interested? And, there, you know, it was like, wow, this is an opportunity of a lifetime to be able to stay in, stay in uh, your city and not move and coach uh, in, in college. So I, I took that opportunity, and and uh, that, that, that invitation and, and became the, an assistant coach with Don Smith at UNO. And uh, it was a great experience. We were there for three years, but as we all know in coaching, there are two types of coaches, those that have been fired and those that are going to be fired. <laughs> <laughs> and three years later, you know, we had actually the year before we had two years after the second year, we had made it to the NIT beat LSU with Howard Carter, at LSU. So it was, uh, we had, a, we had a great deal of success, but all our seniors graduated, new group came in and, uh, we were very young and we winded up finishing, I think maybe 12 and 15 or 13 and 14, but we finished with a losing season. And the problem wasn't the losing season. The problem was we were moving into a new arena and the arenas would seat 10,000. And there's nothing that gets coaches fired quicker than moving into a new arena that you're not able to fill up. So uh, we were fired as, as coaches. And uh, I was out of coaching for a year and thought, well, maybe after these 13 years, there's something else I ought to do besides coach. And I went into commercial real estate, Danny, and <laughs> uh, it, it was an experience when I'm glad I did, but I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> I, 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 was, I felt like I was back in school, you know, where you dreaded Sunday nights and you look forward to Friday afternoons. And yeah. I said, gosh, I can't imagine living like this nine to five, you know. Couldn't wait for five o'clock every day. Couldn't wait for Friday afternoon. Dreaded Sunday nights. So, after a year of doing that, I, uh, I, I, I don't want to go into all the detail, but make a long story short, I was offered an assistant coaching position at Mississippi State, and uh, I, at that time it was a restricted earnings position, <laughs> and uh, it, it, which meant that you. You could work there, but we can only pay you a certain amount. And I can remember talk, going home and, and, and talking to Rainey and explaining to her that we were offered a job coaching, but it was only gonna, we were only going to make $17,000 a year. Now, I'm 35 years old, and we're probably together making about eighty, ninety thousand. 90000 She was a legal secretary, and I was in the commercial real estate field. So we're going to take a major cut, a $50,000 cut. <clears throat> and and move into faculty housing on the campus of Mississippi State. And her response was, yeah, let's do it. Why not? <laughs> so she's a great wife, wonderful coach's wife, and I was blessed. So we took that journey and jumped in to Mississippi State, and I became an assistant with Richard Williams for three years. And 
uh, had, a, had a wonderful experience. And from there, I was offered the job at Birmingham Southern. And, uh, you know, that decision to take that restricted earnings position finally paid off. And, uh, you know, the rest is history, yeah. as they say. No, the well, next 20, no, that's, 29 years, I was at, at Southern. That's the part that in, you know, obviously I've been blessed to to have known you all these years and, and know your journey, but I wanted you to kind of to do all that to hear because um, it's just so many people want it right away. So many want the, the quick things. They think they can kind of rush it and do, and, and especially in this business and with, with coaches. And, and for that matter, it's not just – that's not a basketball-specific, anything in the coaching business at whatever sport, but just the journey of going through the sacrifices um, and continuing to kind of – but it, it ties in with how you were as a player, and that helped form and shape you uh, in, in that grind to, to get to that. And then obviously that's where our, our paths cross is when you, you come to Southern, because um, I was at McNeese State, and that's one of my, my just kind of selfishly favorite things is that we have a little kind of Louisiana crossing um, from that. And so you win – you know, you come to Southern in your first year, you win the national championship in 1990, and your starting point guard on the team, Brent Carter, who was like my idol in high school, and the reason I was a little bit, I was a little scrappy, small freshman that never played on the freshman team, and Brent was the superstar that had the best looking girl at Grissom, who's now his <laughs> wife, and Jill, and she went, and like, I remember in the hallways when Brent would stop, you know, when on my way to math class, Brent would be there, and I'd be like, hey, who, you know, he would always be so kind of talked about who recruited him and all. And at the end of that year, I was like, I want to be a basketball player. And all my coaches thought I was crazy because I was small and I never played. And uh, so Brent influenced me so much. And so when Brent went to George Mason and then transferred back, and then he's your point guard. Um, and I think it was one year later after that. I remember after you guys won the championship, Brent calls, and I did not come back. And it wasn't until my – other former teammate from Grissom, Chris Shaver, who was uh, now at, at Southern, that I came back and then and, and had just two amazing years getting a chance to play for you. Um, and then, of course, you win another national championship in 1995. That's my favorite thing from people that, like, oh, you, 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 were you on one of the national championship teams? I'm like, no, I was the failure in between that. The, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm like, we went to the Sweet 16 and got upset every year. We were ranked, you know, number two or number one in the country, but we didn't, we didn't win a title. But those, I mean, so you, you spend 17 years as the head coach at Southern. You win, you know, over 400 games. You're, you're, you're in, in, you know, NAI back then was the monster. I mean, like that was the Lipscombs, the Belmonts, everybody now that, that's kind of, that's playing. And you went over 800% of your games with that. Um, we make the transition to Division One in the three years that you're Division One. you're coach of the year in the Big South, two of those three years, and we finished second and like, that's the part for me, and, and then I'll shut up, and then you can kind of talk about the Southern stuff. But, like, the, the, the Southern years, those 17 years, um, you, we were just dominant, and you were dominant. And just talk a little bit about the I, – I know the ending of Southern. I don't want to waste time talking about that on this, but the just the the coaching there, the experience, the NAI, just, just you know, your kind of your, your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, it was just an incredible run that we had, uh, Danny, and I had no idea what I was getting into. Matter As a matter of fact, many of my friends, coaching friends, said there's no way you should take that job. It's always very difficult 
to follow a good coach and, and not only follow a good coach, but there were several good coaches at Birmingham Southern. And, you know, it was like, gosh, you're following Joe Dean and, and, and Murray Arnold and, and guys like that. It's like, these guys are legends. And I, you know, I was told not to take it. That's not a good job. You, you know, it's best to, to take a, a job where, you know, they have not won and, and Joe won, Murray won. I mean, it was, uh, and Greg Walkovich, who was in between those two, he had success. So it was, uh, you know, it was a job that a lot of people were saying not to take. And I remembered going there and taking the job and wondering what have I done? And because people would walk out, you know, walk up to me and say, Oh, wow. You got some big uh, shoes to fill following Joe. And, uh, you know, fortunately Joe had recruited some really good players and, <laughs> and, and we had a, uh, a style of play that really complemented those players. And, and I think it was a carryover, you know, we, we played a full court game and, yeah, our signature was pressing and running and shooting threes. And maybe we're a little bit ahead of our time as far as shooting threes. I, you know, the, 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 it was the, the change in the game of the three point line had really not taken full effect. Coaches, some of the old style coaches were still afraid to, to, to sell out to the three point shot and wanted to pound everything inside. And uh, for whatever reason, I think it's just because of, the way I played as a player, you know, we, we shot threes, but they weren't threes back then. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, it was just a fun style of play. But I think, you know, that first year was, was critical to uh, the longevity and the success that we would have for years to come. And uh, I, again, we, we were going to, I was told by, by some very good friends and Steve Newton, who was a coach at South Carolina, uh, at the time he, he called and uh, we, we talked basketball and he said, well, how are you going to play? And now that you're the head coach at, at Birmingham Southern. And I told him, I said, Steve, you know, we played in, in high school, we pressed and we, we ran and we tried to push the ball up the court as much as we could and, and apply as much pressure as we could on other teams. And I think we're going to try to play the same way here at Birmingham Southern. And, and Steve's comment to me was, well, you you, you better win because if you don't win, you're going to get fired because you're not going to look like you're well coached. Yeah. And well, I think that's, that's the misperception about pressing and running and pushing the ball up the court. Uh, it, it's chaotic and it looks like chaos, chaos. Uh, it's not like you're running the flex offense and you're real disciplined and making pass after pass. But there's a lot of coaching that goes into that style of play, but it's all done prior to game time. Yeah. And uh, there well, are some adjustments that are made during the games and the, the, you know, the pressing and the running is a style of play. I think it attracts players to the program. And I think it also uh, <laughs> helps you win games because you, you don't necessarily need the very best player. But if you have enough good players, those good players are going to make a difference. Yeah. And I think that's what we had. We had, I mean, we had some great players, uh, but we also had a lot of good players who could all had something to bring to the party. Talk in, not to get like sidetracked, but where did, I mean, cause obviously in, in 
the style of play? Like, wh- wh- how did that come about? Like, where? And I know you guys did it at Jesuit, and um, but where did that? How did you kind of come up with that, and how did you implement that, and and just where was the genesis of that with you? Well, one of the things about coaches, uh, Danny, I, I think very few of us are original. We 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 get a little bit of this and a little bit of that from different coaches and different teams that we see play. And and I was fortunate, very blessed, and and uh, to run across a fellow when I was coaching at Jesuit High School. There was a guy by the name of Neil Reed who just meandered into the gym. He was an older fellow in his late seventies and uh, he was a basketball junkie and he came into our gym one day and started watching his practice. Didn't know who he was. And he came in the next day and came in several days in a row. And finally, Jimmy Tillett, who was one of my assistant coaches, said, who is this guy over here? I said, oh, no, Jimmy, why don't you go talk to him? <laughs> so Jimmy went to talk to him and came back later and said, hey, this guy is really, really bright. He's got some great ideas. So, uh, you know, we, we invited him into the office, and his name was Neil Reed. And um, oh. he, come to find out, he was an assistant for Adolph Rupp. And he is, was his system of play was the 140s. How about that? And he, he started explaining it to us. And we were trying to do a version of what were the 140s. And that's why he came to our gym because he heard about it. He saw us play one night and liked what we were doing. And, and he was, he, he was uh, both genius and, and 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 insane at the same time. I mean, he was just one of these eccentric guys that just, you know, was just a basketball junkie and and just knew so much about the game. And you know, he basically helped us with the 140s. And so we 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 started putting it in and started uh, adding to it and deleting from it. And, and it it became what it is today. And uh, you know, it, it was a big part of our, our philosophy. And unfortunately, Neil just passed away recently. Really? So, um, you know, I, I took a lot of basketball knowledge with him. Well, I, I still have a, I don't know, 32-page manual. That was the uh, the 140 system. And and so it, it, it was just from a, a player standpoint, and it was great. You know, I played for one of the best – you know, motion offense coaches in high school and in Ronnie Stapler, Grissom coming up and then um, got around uh, coach Steve Welch and Peterson at McNeese that we were all pro sets and walk it up and have court. And I remember when I transferred to Southern that the very first time we came to play pickup is like when you scored, you didn't take the ball out of the net and throw it in bounds. You just got it and ran the other way. And I was like, well, what is this game we're playing? And it was like just like even in pickup in the offseason, everything was tempo. Everything was go. Everything was go. And um, like that whole first year, and we had a great year, and we, you know, we, we went out there and, and, and lost in the, in the overtime in the Final Four. But like it still was such a kind of an adjustment and then the senior of getting it. And, th- and that was the part. Now, of course, I can attest to this too now, the, 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 the talking about in practice the time before the, the glory NEI days where there weren't really time limits on practices. And so we, you know, we had some lengthy <laughs> ones of going through phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, and coach, the cap's about to close. Ah, they'll keep it open for you guys. Let's keep going. And so 
just the, there's so much that goes into that in the system of that. And let, I mean, I think it's a good little segue. So in, in to talk about like your journey, like who I think arguably is your most famous walk-ons of all time uh, in your times there in, in Bucky McMillan, who is now obviously transferred and, and we live here in Alabama, who has been the most dominant high school program here the past decade plus and that is, I mean, he runs it. Now, and of course, as you say, all coaches, and then they tweak it. Bucky now has his own version and spin and, and adjustments. But at the core of it, like, that's the 140 lives on in, in watching those guys play. And just kind of talk a little bit. And it's funny that you talk about in your journey of walking on and getting on. And, this, and a lot of the same things with Buck of when he came to Southern and now how that has transferred into him and where your 140s now for, for people that didn't get a chance to see it in the 90s now, that's what the Brooks doing. Well, before before I get into Bucky, let me say this, uh, Danny, that I think coaching, I mean, we, we, we all want to win. We want to win championships and, and those things, and that is so important. But I think too many coaches, too many people miss out on the friendships and relationships that we build on that journey. I mean, one of, to me, one of the most gratifying days is when I get a phone call or an email from a, from a former player. Um, I mean, and that's that relationship. It's just, uh, you know, you can't measure it. I, I couldn't tell you how many games we won or how many games we lost, what championships we had, but you know, I can name every player that's ever played for us and from high school all the way into college, you know, and that's, you know, 35 years of coaching. So yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it, you know, that's the best part of coaching. It truly is a relationship, the friendships that you, that you get. I, you know, I got a phone call from Tommy Daly, who's the athletic director now at a school in Georgia. He's got a, had a little issue with a player and wasn't sure how to handle it. And we talked about it for an hour wow. and, you know, it was, it's just, it's, I hate that he has that issue, but, but it's rewarding getting that phone call or getting the phone call from you or, Chris Shaver or Brent Carter or, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, I think too many coaches miss out on that. And getting back to Bucky, Bucky is an interesting story, and our careers truly do parallel each other. And uh, unfortunately, Bucky senior year is when the college decided to go Division three, And uh, he was – but let me go back even before that. Uh Bucky used to come to our basketball camps when he was seven years old. So I knew who he was, loved him. He, he loved the game. Uh, you know, I you know, thought he was a nice little high school player. Uh, watched him play in high school. Just wasn't quite good enough for where we were going with our program. And uh, I did not think he was, you know, scholarship material. This is how good of a coach I was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I happened to be sitting at the uh, Civic Center, the Final Four, his senior year. And I I knew his dad well. And I'm talking to Bucky Sr. And he, I asked him, I said, well, what is little Bucky going to do next year? And he said, well, I think he's either going to go to Spring Hill College. He's got a scholarship there. Or he's going to go to Alabama and walk on. And I can remember looking. I said, Bucky – if he's going to walk on at Alabama, why don't you have him walk on at Birmingham Southern? And I promise you, if he makes the team and does well, we'll put him on scholarship. Usually the, those major universities, uh, uh, they'll, 
they'll let a, a, a guy walk on, but there's no real future for him. Well, that night I got a phone call from Lil Bucky. He said, Coach, my dad said you would let me walk on. I said, of course. You want to walk on, Bucky? Come on out tomorrow. Well, I'll introduce you to the players. So Bucky did, and you know he, he, he that September he uh, he was in school, enrolled in school, and as coaches aren't allowed to watch their guys practice in the in September, uh, play in September, they they the guys always played pickup games, uh, and you would want to peek in there and check them out, but you weren't allowed to, so. You would ask your other players, your older players, hey, who's playing well, especially the new guys, the four or five guys, your scholarship, you're waiting for to get a report on them. And inevitably, the first person they would mention was this little white kid from uh, Mountain Brook, little skinny white kid. Coach, he's pretty good. He knows how to play. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, he can't be better than some of the (laughs) other guys we recruited, can he? And, uh, you know, time would go on and I stuck my head in there one, one, one day just to turn the lights on. That's what I told our compliance person. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm watching their choosing teams and who's the first person picked, but, but Bucky, he, now he is the, the little freshman from Mountain Brook and his teams win every game. And it's like, wow, what, what is it about him? And, and sure enough by, uh, when we start practicing, he's really shining. He just knows how to play, has a great mind uh, for the game. And by this time he's grown, he's 6'4 now, and he's a point guard. And uh, he redshirted his freshman year and his sophomore year. He he played a lot and started many games. And then his junior year, he started every game. And then unfortunately, going into his senior year is when the college went to Division mm-hmm. three. And uh, many of our players decided to leave, most of them, matter of fact, all of them. And all of them had scholarships to go other places. And some went to South Alabama. Uh, Two of the guys started from Murray State. And we had players all over the country. And Bucky was offered a scholarship to Alabama, to Auburn, to Mississippi State. And here's the same little kid that was going to walk on at Alabama now. Alabama, Godfrey was offering him a scholarship. And at any rate, he decided, you know, that, hey, I can go to Mountain Brook and be the JV coach at 21 years old, not even finished college. So his senior year, he was coaching the JV at Mountain Brook. And uh, after that season, Mark Cornelius decided to retire at Mountain Brook. And Terry Cooper, who was the athletic director, calls me. And said, I'm getting a lot of calls for Bucky to hire Bucky as our head coach. He said, you know, and I think he said he was 22, 23 years old. And I said, you know, I told Terry, who was a Birmingham Southern alum and former player. I said, Terry, if you don't hire him, you're going to regret it. Uh, he's got he's got it. Whatever it is, he has it. He's brilliant and he's got a great understanding of the game and he can relate to his teammates and to all types of players, uh, great players and not so great players. And he just, he's going to be a great basketball coach. There is no question in my mind. And, and time has proven that 
to be pretty accurate. Yeah. Know? Well, in, he's, any any he's uh, any any failure that you made in properly evaluating Bucky coming out as a player out of high school, you were spot on on the coaching standpoint in that in that suggestion. Um, t- so t- just talk a little bit about like. I know um, you still live in the Birmingham area. Just in terms of kind of watching, that's got to bring you some joy and just seeing the 140s like tr- truly as it is in them in playing. Yeah, I love the way he plays. Uh, he's actually taken it a notch further uh, with what he's doing. They're, they're pressing on missed baskets, which is something I always wanted to do, just didn't have the courage to, to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not sure if we would have had the time to teach it either <laughs> yeah. since we were pretty consumed with everything else that we were doing. But uh, Bucky has taken it to another level. I've never seen a uh, high school college team play as hard as his teams do, especially, you know, the, the before trend and Wofford and, uh, and even now they they're playing back the way he likes to play mm-hmm. with that great intensity and, um, it, it's just, it's a thing of beauty. I, I actually called my nephew Ryan and told him he needed to come up from New Orleans to, to watch them practice and watch them play because there's just not many places, uh, that have this type of coaching and this type of passion, uh, for the game. Yeah. And, uh, what he's, what they have created there in mountain Brook is just, it's incredible. It, it truly is. And, and it starts in the first grade. Uh, yeah. as, as we have talked before, he's got a program that they call Buckyball, where they're doing clinics for first graders throughout the basketball season. And there are 150 kids that attend this clinic during the basketball season once or twice a week. Man, no, it's awesome. Let, let, let's, I want to, before we kind of, I, I always like to spend some time each week talking about, you know, development, youth, and what they see. But before we kind of move past that, I wanted to make sure um, to kind of, uh, which is was just such a uh, the main anchor in your your whole journey uh in coaching with just you know your amazing wife Rainey and so when it 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 tied together obviously when the school shifts to division 1 to division 3 and then in 2006 you step away she's diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2007 a year later and so it's just amazing to me and just you know a, just a, a few minutes on that like to me that was the ultimate because a lot of folks were like hey why did coach not go take another job why did he not got code you know well that's why because you you epitomized everything you taught us about selflessness being a team player taking care of 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 each other and it's you know you hear so many kids nowadays want to wear their their own shoes they want to do their own thing they want to in in coaches that want to run programs about being a teammate you were the ultimate teammate and and for a decade we're just you know just speak on that for just a second, because I think that is another just exclamation point on your on your whole journey with with coaching. Well, you know, Dan, as we've talked about, and oftentimes with our players, you know, we're, we're on so many teams in life. You're, you know, you're you're in your class, your classmates, or you're a team. Your your family is a team, and 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 as you get married, your wife, you and you and she become a team. And and fort- I was blessed. Rainy and I were married right out of college and, and we had a great run. I mean, we, you know, we, we had some tight times financially and I, I can honestly say we never argued and uh, it was incredible. And uh, she was, she was the perfect wife. She truly was. And, 
as an example is when it came time to leave New Orleans and go to Starkville and take a $50,000 cotton salary. It was like, okay, let's, let's do that. That'll be fun. And, uh, you know, that was pretty much her attitude. And she, you know, she loved the players. Uh, she was not an athlete by any stretch, but I would come home and she'd be watching, she'd be watching basketball games. And, <laughs> you know, she just, she, she just fell in love with the game and, I was very fortunate to have her and knew that. And, uh, you know, and not in, actually in 2005, 2006, we started seeing symptoms that something wasn't right. When I say we, my daughter, Nicole, and I kept looking at each other saying something's not right with mom. And uh, we, we couldn't pinpoint it. It wasn't like she was forgetful. Uh, she, she, was, she never got lost or never lost her keys. She was just changing. Her personality was just becoming a little less uh, precise with the things that she did. She was becoming a little, a little more passive and quieter, et cetera. And we just couldn't figure it out, Danny, but we knew something wasn't right. And just about that time, uh, the college decided to go Division Three and I had a contract, in my, which I would advise every coach, if you can, when you're having a good year or have an opportunity to go someplace, if you can get a contract, put it in writing. Uh, it's it's very very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a I had a contract at Birmingham Southern. I had a couple opportunities, actually, to go back home to the University of New Orleans. And uh, again showing you Rainey's disposition in 97, 98, we had a chance to go back. And I flew back from New Orleans after an interview with the contract in hand to go to UNO. And I knew, I thought for sure, Rainey would be thrilled when I got home. I said, Rainey, we have, we've got a contract. If you want to go, now's the time. And she looked at me, she said, I'm happy right where we are. And that was it. That was a decision. We stayed at, at uh, Birmingham Southern and we used that opportunity to, to better our situation financially from a contract standpoint. Uh, Dr. Birdie, who was just the very best to work with, um, was very limited what he could do financially, but he could do some things security wise, which obviously was a concern for every coach. And, uh, you know, we, we had a 10 year contract that rolled over every year. And in that contract, it stated that if the college ever decided to de-emphasize athletics and do away with scholarships that I could just stay there, keep my compensation and teach PE or activity classes, tennis, golf, i.e. weightlifting, uh, basketball, et cetera. So in 2005, 2006, we saw some things going on with Rainey that we knew were not, you know, there was something seriously wrong. And uh, we started going to doctors and the doctors couldn't find anything, but they said that, yeah, there's definitely something going on here. We don't know what it is. And around about that time is when the college decided to go to vision three. And uh, my attorney who, who helped me with enforcing my contract, Rainey actually had written the contract back in 97, 98. But uh, when this happened, and I was going to uh, exercise a clause in the contract that stated that I could stay on and just teach the classes with my compensation. I did get an attorney to 
write a letter and explain to the president that uh, we were going to exercise this clause. And he made the comment, he said, Dwayne, now the contract states that if, the, if you're doing this because the college is de-emphasizing athletics. So that was the reason I we, we used for me getting out of coaching. But a big part of it was Rainey's illness. And I knew I couldn't continue to coach and recruit and travel with her in this condition. And unfortunately, a year later, uh, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And it's actually, it was frontal temporal dementia, Danny, which at that time, 15 years ago, people have never heard of frontal temporal dementia. Now in recent months, uh, there have been some documentaries on frontal temporal dementia, which is very much like Alzheimer's. It's just a different part of the brain is uh, affected with uh, dementia and it, you lose your ability to your, your motor skills, your verbal skills. And the, and oftentimes the first thing to go is your personality traits and your, your, your personality changes. And that's exactly what happened with Randy. Her personality was changing. And not long after, maybe within two years, her verbal abilities were gone. And so for the last oh, five, six years, she didn't call my name or Nicole's name. She, we weren't sure if she really knew who we were. I think she knew, and we hope that she knew we were somebody important in her life. But uh, it was a very difficult time, to say the least. And I was blessed in many ways, number one. And I urge all those listening, if you don't have long-term care insurance, be sure to get long-term care mm -hmm. insurance. Uh, it is, uh, it's costly, but you, you can spend a premium, a year's premium in one month. Uh, and, and we did for the next 10 years or eight years. Uh, it, it was quite costly taking care of someone. And I was blessed to have long-term care insurance. I was blessed to ha still have compensation and I still had an opportunity to go to work at least for an hour a day, which was mentally a, a, a great relief for me. And, uh, and I still had rainy in, in diminished as she was. Uh, she was wonderful. She was sweet. And I was really, it was an honor to take care of her. And, and I could remember saying, I, if she could just stay like this, I'll take her as she yeah. is. And, it's much better to hug her and hold her and give her a kiss on the cheek and uh, than to just look at a picture. Uh, so it was a difficult time. And uh, I heard myself saying to myself the same things I've said to you guys, that it's not what happens to us. It's how we handle what yeah. happens to us. And, um, so I was blessed, Danny, because we had a lot of things going our way um, through that whole process. And, so it was uh, it was a difficult time, but but we were blessed. Yeah, well, and I think you know she passed away in 2015, and and I I think just the 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 power of the statement of how we all felt about her, and then obviously you is just seeing how many former players, coaches that work for you there, and you know and it goes to your whole point about with coaching and playing in sports, just the relationships and that over those. 30 years that's that's what matters um yeah we I, it was really nice we had players from 
New Orleans players from Texas come in, flew in. Uh, you know, Shema and Barracura flew in from D.C. And we had, play, you know, Florida. We, you know, we had players from all over the country coming in uh, on her uh, for her memorial service. And, and I know she was she was smiling. She viewed all these guys, all you guys, as her basketball sons. Mm-hmm. You know, we yeah. we were not we did not have any 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 sons, but we had we had several basketball sons. So we were we were blessed, Danny. It was a it was a great run, and I was a a very fortunate guy. One of my college teammates I saw recently, and he he said, "You're retired, but you never worked." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Johnny, you're right." <laughs> well, let's um here in the last couple of minutes um kind of finish on some, some, some basketball stuff. And it's, sure. you know, we, we talk about, um, and that's one of the things in, in just friends and guys that played for you that they don't realize how, how much of a, uh, an impact and a legend in terms from in a coaching standpoint. And, it, and one of my favorite parts was a year ago, uh, when Belmont, I think it was last year, Belmont beat UCLA and they ran the backdoor play and, you know, and everybody like, they're all like, oh, Rick Burr, that, that play's unbelievable. And, like, instantly, like, all of the Southern guys were texting each other, like, we ran that back in 1991. Like, that was, like, and it was – and so at that – Panic. Yeah, yeah panic. It was panic. It was panic. <laughs> and, and, like, our text thread uh, with all of us are on it. Like, man, we've done that to be, you know, AUM or Faulkner. And that's the part as a kind of, like, former player uh, and, and someone under your, your, your family tree of – that Southern was ahead of the curve of all those, the Belmonts, the Lips, like in, in from the national titles and then the immediate success we had at the division one level. Um, and so that, that part, you know, is like, man, I wish, what would it be like now? But talk, talk just a little bit from, cause you're still around the game and you follow the game and, and we've had just, you know, numerous conversations watching, just talk a little bit about to like to parents and to young coaches kind of listening now just in terms of things that were important to you as a coach and things you see now that are like just kind of, you know, things that they can learn from that help them be better every day. Well, and I think we touched on those things. And I think, Danny, one of the things I think parents can do and should do is build an environment where the kids have to make decisions themselves Mm -hmm. Um, from organizing play dates, times, you know, have your child text his buddy, hey, why don't you come over? Let's meet at the park. Let's go play. And that, even if a parent has to go and sit on a bench and assure that everyone is safe, but let the kids choose the teams. Let the kids decide what game they're going to play. Are they going to play horse? Are they going to play one-on-one? Are they going to play two-on-two? Let the kids choose who's on each team. They will learn to make the teams fair because it's more fun when we have a fair game. They will also learn, which I think we learned as players, as kids. You know, I, I can remember growing up and, you know, we play a pickup game and it would be 15 guys out there. And only, obviously, you're going to play five on five and five guys have to sit out. Well, if you're one of those five guys sitting out and you get into the next game, you're going to figure a way to win. You're going to get the ball to the best player. You're not going to take an ill-advised shot. (laughs) You're not going to turn the ball over because that's going to hurt your chances of playing in the next game. And I think we have now, and it's just society and where we are, we have organized everything so that we've got to teach these kids how to play and how to 
how to get the ball to the right guy or who to get the ball to, whereas that should be something that they learn at an early age on their own. So that would be one thing. The other thing I think, uh, and we have talked about this, one of the most difficult things in a coach's life, especially at the at the young age, at the as middle school, uh, high school, early high school years, is when you're putting up a cut list, your kid doesn't make the team. It's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard for coaches, just as it is for players, because we know that a, we are only as parents as happy as our saddest child. <laughs> and if, I, if one of our children are having a bad day, then we're having a bad day. So we understand that. And it's difficult that day when you have to put up that cut list. And this little guy who is dying to be on the basketball team doesn't make it. But I think as a parent, as opposed to saying, oh, coach doesn't know what he's doing or you're, you know, you're, you're much better than this guy, than Johnny or Bobby. Instead of saying that, it's, it, it needs to be, okay, this is our starting point. Here we go. Let's get serious. About it. If you want to play, if you want to make the eighth grade team, or if you want to make the freshman team, or if you want to make the varsity next year, hey, it's up to you. And uh, yeah. you got to just work at it. And I don't, I think we as parents are so protective of our children. We'll decide to do something else or we'll, we'll play football yeah. <laughs> or, or another sport. So I think as a parent, I think don't dwell on the negative part of not making the team dwell on the opportunity to become better. No. And I, and I think that could be done in the classroom as well. You know, you don't do well on a test. Well, Hey, it's not the end of the world. Let's just study a little harder. Mm-hmm. Let's work at it more. And, and some people have to work harder than others. That's just life. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a perfect ending that we, we spend too much time, uh, moving the, moving the goal rather than trying to teach them how <laughs> to make the goal. Exactly. Yeah, no, that, you're exactly right. And, and I, I do think that we, we do so much for our children, which, and I'm guilty of it as well. I've got three little grandsons and, you know, I'm out in the driveway teaching them how to pound the ball with the left hand inside out and crossovers. And here they are, you know, four and six years old, seven years old. And, uh, you know, I want them to to have an opportunity to play, but if they, and I, and I tell them, and then I remind them, Hey, it just doesn't happen. You're not, you weren't born with a good left hand. You have to develop that left hand. Uh, are they running any 140 greens and reds yet or no? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Soon, soon, soon. <laughs> I, it, it's just individual stuff. Oh, I love it. Well, coach, uh, listen, I, um, this has been great. And I think the, um, I, I love hearing your story all the time. I mean, I, I kind of know it, you know, book and verse, but it's, uh, it's, it's, this is great to be able to have this as a platform to kind of share it with others. And I know that we have a, a lot of coaches and a lot of parents that listen and, and hopefully now that they can kind of look and then they can kind of go do a little deep dive and, um, and figure out and then transfer this to their, to their houses and to their teams and, uh, and, and, and be better for it. Well, I, I really, truly hope that the coaches out there that are listening will enjoy their players and understand that players don't intend to miss shots. They don't intend to fumble the basketball or miss a pass or what, or miss an open play, teammate. Uh, they, they're, they're, they're good kids and they're somebody's baby. 
So sometimes putting an arm around them and sometimes giving them a little firm uh, critique is, is, is just as valuable too. So uh, keep them, keep that in, uh, in, in mind that, 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 that they need both. Kids need both. That's perfect. All right. Next time I'm coming to the dock to have the cup of coffee. Okay. Let's do it. Thanks, Danny. All right, coach. Thanks, man. We'll talk soon. This week's episode of Pro and Dialogue. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the visit with Coach Dwayne Rebel as much as I did listening to it. Um, and just really excited to be able to have brought that to you. Um, and hopefully there were some points that everybody was able to kind of get from that makes them a better coach, makes them a better parent. Um, and then for all of us that just played for him that are listening, just being able to catch up and hear some time from him because. Um, he was just he was he was a giant in the business, uh, and but even more so in all of his years of coaching, a giant in influencing all of us in our lives. Uh, you can catch up with any episode of Pro and Dialogue uh, wherever you get your podcasts on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, uh, on Spotify, on Podbean. Go back, dive into any of the previous episodes. And as always, uh, I really appreciate you taking your time and listening. And we look forward to catching up with you again soon.